0: This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Corey House.
1: Hi there, Ed. How are you doing?
0: Good. And today we're going to be talking about ReactJS. Now, Corey, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get going?
1: Uh, Sure thing. So I've been writing code for about 15 years professionally now. Uh, I've been a software architect at uh, Vin Solutions, which you've probably not heard of, but we are a subsidiary of AutoTrader, which you probably have heard of. Uh, So what I do there is basically get paid to do a lot of research uh, to help uh, prototype things and enforce best practices really get people uh, spun up on new technologies, uh, keep us using modern uh, modern stacks. And uh, as part of that, I've, uh, in the last year or so, gotten a lot more into React and really enjoyed that. I uh, also recently authored a Pluralsight course on that topic. I have about five out there uh, that's been keeping me pretty busy the last couple years uh, recording those courses. And I'm also a Microsoft MVP and uh Telerik, Dev expert, I believe is the lingo for that. <laughs> I forget the exact title, but that's about right. Telerik Developer Expert. There we go. You got it right. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. And uh, also
0: you go to conferences as well. I just saw you about a week ago at uh, St. Louis Days of .NET, and you were talking about a new uh, JavaScript framework called React.js. Uh, so... Why don't you give us a little insight as to what J, uh, ReactJS is and uh, how
1: we can get started with ReactJS. Okay, sure. So for, for me, uh, the easiest thing to compare React to was Knockout, because I spent a lot of time in Knockout, and it was, uh, in, in some ways, that made life easier uh, picking up uh, React. I, I actually went from Knockout to Angular to React, so I made a couple jumps uh, in between. I Backbone was the one that I skipped because I went from jQuery to Knockout. Like a lot of people that do much JavaScript, we end up uh, picking up new tools, it seems like, quite often. Uh, So one thing that I find is really helpful is trying to compare and frame uh, a given library and framework to the things that came before. Uh, So... Right away, I was, I was looking at React and trying to figure out you know, what made it unique, and uh, the, the talk that you alluded to that I gave in uh, St. Louis last week really focused on that. It focused on a few core areas where React is uh, innovating, and already some of that innovation um, has impacted other well-known frameworks like uh, Angular and Ember. But um, at its core, what React is, is uh, just a library for creating components, uh, for creating a componentized UI. And the really nice thing about React to me is that the way that it does that is more elegant than the competition right now. You can go out and you can build directives in Angular and you can build components in Knockout, you can build components in Ember, but I find that React's model is very, very terse and is also just, it takes away a lot of the friction that I was feeling in some of those other solutions where in some cases they felt uh, either too verbose or things like uh, Angular 1's directive model has always felt a little cryptic to me, the way that you pull it all together. Uh, Now, given Angular 2 ends up solving some of those things, and, and certainly looks like it's going to make life um, a lot easier on that front. Uh, but that's what drew me in initially, was this idea of being able to really easily compose a large, complex application by putting together a bunch of small pieces that plug together a little bit like Legos.
0: So some of those other technologies you mentioned, like Angular, I think is uh, it's by Google, and it's being backed by Microsoft now. Uh, React, uh, who's React by?
1: Uh, React is from Facebook. And that's one thing that I like about uh, React is React is used on Facebook.com. React is used uh, also to do uh, some of their mobile work. So I love knowing that Facebook is choosing to dog food this on one of the largest websites in the world. And in fact, they have already converted large portions of their application See, it's a little weird if you look at React's version number. Currently, its version is .14, which makes it sound like this is very bleeding edge. But in fact, React's been used at Facebook for over a couple of years now and is already used at uh, all sorts of well-known companies. It's used by uh, Netflix, by the New York Times, uh, by PayPal. So there's a lot of names that I could rattle on. Um, there's probably dozens out there uh, that, that you'd recognize that already have React out in production.
0: So this is a tool that comes from one of those stories where it's been used behind the scenes for a long time, and they just decided it was a great tool for the job, so they open-sourced it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, um, I think this is a model that we're going to see more of, especially as there's problems with finding good talent and retaining that talent. Effectively, what Facebook did was said, all right, development team, Any cool things that you come up with, you are free to open source that technology. And once you start to tell developers that, something great happens, which is they feel a lot more incentivized to try to innovate. And the idea is, hey, if I could innovate and open source something that really catches fire, then it's a win-win because, uh, well, it's actually a win-win-win if I think about it, because it's a win for Facebook in this case, because now Facebook has a really useful piece of technology that didn't exist before out on the market. It's also a win for the developer because now they've gotten their name out and they will often find that they can go do independent consulting later, that they can speak at a lot of conferences, get to travel for free, do those sorts of things. And uh, finally, it's just a win because now other people are going to want to work at Facebook. They're going to say, okay, here's this technology. It's well known. I'd love to be over here and helping be a part of it. So... I think um, more and more we're going to see other companies trying to do the same thing. And in fact, we've already seen PayPal's uh, open sourcing different things as well. Um, obviously, Google's been well into this for quite a while. That's no news. But we're seeing um, uh, Netflix as well. Net- Netflix has Falcor, which is out there. So I'm having fun watching all these different companies roll with this new model. I, I guess I shouldn't say new, but um, increasingly fixating on the idea of, hey, developers create something awesome, and you're free to open source it. And once you tell developers that, it seems like really good things happen.
0: Yeah. One thing that um, I just realized, you made it painfully obvious, is that now that they've open sourced this thing, they actually have pools of talent they can hire that didn't exist before. So you have you know, React behind the scenes at Facebook, uh, if they didn't open source it, they couldn't go out to the job market and say, we need React developers, obviously. right? Uh, now that they have, they can actually go out to a talent pool that's been using it in the wild and actually bring them in with knowledge already. That's That's an interesting point of view I hadn't even thought of until you brought that type of thing up.
1: Well, it's extra powerful too, because it, it if you have a proprietary technology, most developers will come into an interview, And they will be less excited about the job if it's something that is truly specific to your company. Because developers have to think about that bigger picture of saying, yeah, I want this job, but I also want whatever I learn here to transfer. So the minute that they got this critical mass where people care about React, then suddenly, yeah, working at Facebook sounds great because now I could definitely get a job elsewhere doing React and there's lots of other people that care about it.
0: Yeah, nothing shuts you down faster than knowing you're going to learn a skill that's absolutely useless elsewhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was something that clicked for me very early in my career. I've got to ask myself, is this proprietary? Is this something that no one else is interested in? Because if so, I need to go find another job.
0: So what technologies are involved in creating a React, React application?
1: Well, that's, um, frankly, that's one of the hard parts about doing a React app. Because if you're somebody that is used to working in Ember or in Angular, what you find is those are frameworks. And when I say framework, I mean they cover really all the major pieces that you're going to need to build a real application. They think about things like routing. They think about how to handle your data flows. They have opinions about how to structure your folders. And uh, they tell you how you should be making your API calls. A lot of those sorts of things are not in the box with react because react has a very specific goal and that is just component based UI. And when you build a full application, you're going to have to make those other decisions. So this was one of, when I was creating my Pluralsight course, that was one of the big challenges I had was, okay, yes, react is great, but I have a lot of other decisions to make uh, just as simple as the build process because with React, you're probably going to want to minify your code. You're probably going to want to write automated tests. You'll want to bundle it all together for production. A lot of the same stories of any other major JavaScript application. And once you go down that road, um, there are some really opinionated frameworks like Ember that just do all that for you. Everything comes out of the box. That's also why they are uh, the learning curve on something like Ember is much steeper. But the one nice thing is you have really a one-stop shop there. Now my take is the beauty of React is because it's just a library, I'm able to pull all these best-of-breed solutions off this shelf. I can say, okay, I wanna use SuperAgent or I wanna use jQuery in this case, rather than using this built-in solution for making API calls. Same story with my data flows. How do I want to handle flows through my application? Um, If we have time, we can talk a little about Flux because that's another piece of the puzzle. But the the, uh, bottom line, the way that I choose to write my React apps today, uh, I really enjoy Gulp. Gulp is my task runner that lets me glue everything that I need together. So I pull in Gulp. I tend to use Node uh, Node combined with NPM to pull down all the packages uh, that I need, and I'll pull down... Typically Browserify or Webpack depending on the project and the comfort level of the team. But if you're not familiar with those, Browserify is just an easy way to be able to take node packages and then use them in a browser. Because if you're not aware, node packages by default will not run in the browser. They use a pattern that the browser won't accept. So Browserify ends up wrapping those up and making them available. So I'll find myself Installing Node and then saying npm install React, install uh, perhaps Flux if I end up using Flux, install React Router uh, if I want to do routing in the application, and etc. There's a lot of little decisions like that, but the beauty of it is if you're building a really simple application, basically all you need is React. And as your application grows, you start pulling these other libraries off the shelf to add the specific things that you need.
0: It's one of those situations where you have this uh, fine line between the freedom of being able to do all those things, and yet the responsibility of being the one that has to do all of those things.
1: Yeah. It, well, it. I will say, as a, as a software architect, it's been fun for me because I get to spend a lot of time researching this and making sure that I'm comfortable with the recommendations that I make. Whereas if if we were using Ember, then yeah, all these decisions are made for me. But it also ties my hands. I have to wait around until Ember innovates if there's an area where I feel like it's a bit deficient.
0: So what what does React do that's different from some of these other frameworks? Like, how, how do we start writing React? What do some of the components look like?
1: Well, so the thing that React, I feel like, does differently, most notably, would be JSX. And if you are familiar with JSX, it's this idea of being able to write what basically looks like HTML within my JavaScript. When you write a React component, you tend to compose that entire component within a single JavaScript file. And for most people at first, when they look at this, they just want to flip the table and run. I mean, it's, it's just (laughs) awful that I, I joke that it's like introducing my ugly baby and at first you're going to look and you're going to cringe and you're going to try to be polite, but you're really going to feel like it's wrong. And I feel like people should have that reaction. This, this idea of mixing HTML and JavaScript into the same file should initially make you feel uncomfortable. Because if you've been coding for long, you've certainly heard people preach about the single responsibility principle and about separation of concerns, that each file should be handling a single concern. So the argument is, hey, I can't put HTML and JavaScript together because HTML is my markup, it's my presentation, and JavaScript is my behavior. Well, if you think about this a little differently, that's not really as big a deal as it sounds because the argument that's made, and Pete Hunt makes this really well in his talk if you Google for a Pete Hunt Um, I can't remember the name of the talk. Oh, it was called rethinking best practices. I really loved this talk. This is what finally made me comfortable with JSX. And what his point was, is that separating JavaScript and HTML is a separation of technologies, not concerns. It's a separation of technologies, not concerns. And I, I repeat that because that, that core idea really resonated with me. And if you think about the fact that when you change a line of JavaScript, you almost always need to change some corresponding line of HTML, you start to realize that your concerns aren't really separated, they're just two different technologies that are as glued together as peanut butter and jelly in a sandwich. I mean, we don't have, we don't have a way in JavaScript to define an interface like we do in the land of C-sharp or in Java. Since we're in this dynamic language, these two technologies have to move in lockstep, but all these years of us separating them in separate files has, for me, created a lot of frustration because I will make a typo in my HTML and I won't know it until runtime. But the beauty of JSX is, since I'm writing this HTML-like syntax that sits right within my JavaScript file, obviously I have to compile that down. I have to run a compile step because it's not valid to have HTML in my JavaScript. So I have a build step that converts that just into a function call. So for instance, if I had an h1 tag, that h1 tag would be compiled down into a function call, which is react.createElement takes a parameter, which is h1 in this case. So that JavaScript of course is now valid and can be read by any browser to generate the DOM on the client. But what's powerful about that is, now, if I make a typo in my markup, if, for instance, I try to call a function that doesn't exist in scope at that time, it won't compile. So I will now know at that time that I've made a mistake. And anybody that's worked in uh, compiled languages, if you're someone that's worked in C Sharp or Java, for instance, you love being able to lean on the compiler. You love being able to know that, I didn't make a typo as I was typing references to these functions or these variables. And I find when I'm working in JSX, I get a lot of that same safety because if I make a mistake, if I make a typo, if I forget to perhaps close a tag, I immediately get an error message because it is not able to compile my component. So that fundamental difference, this once we get over this Feeling of nausea that comes from initially putting these two together, I find that life really does get easier, and it 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 really does work quite well.
0: So I think I think there may be some other concerns that uh, might be worth talking about as well. And I think maybe I'm I'm just kind of guessing here that maybe that the. the quality of the talent has changed over the years for one that's that's making this possible but I believe if you proposed something like this years ago people might have a hard time looking at uh, both JavaScript and HTML together in the same file because of uh, you know people specializing in one language versus you know HTML versus JavaScript for example uh, very, two very different typed uh, languages for lack of a better term. Uh, seeing those together might be a little hard for somebody to wrap their mind around. That's not experts in both, uh, but I think people have a little more experience with both of those technologies now. Is where uh, when the web was young, you know, you, you start getting you know CSS and JavaScript and HTML, and uh, those are all different things with different learning curves. But with that said, uh, you know, what a designers uh, for instance, maybe think about this.
1: Yeah, You bring up a really good point, and this is a common concern that, hey, how can we expect designers to understand this? From my experience, it has not been a problem. Uh, once a designer understands that everything within the render method is almost identical to HTML and when I say almost identical there's some very minor differences like instead of saying class you'll say class name instead of saying 4 you'll say HTML four. there's a rather short list of differences here it becomes pretty easy to work with if you're using any IDE with code coloring for JSX and there's quite a few that already have support for it you'll see your HTML still color-coded you'll still get your uh, brace matching and these sorts of things so really it's, it becomes very easy to get in there and effectively ignore the JavaScript and find the HTML that you're looking for. So I, I haven't found it to be a big deal any more so than, say, I was working in ASP.NET. Uh, in in the days of web forms, we had abstractions mm-hmm. over our HTML that made it difficult for designers. I feel like this is this is much easier to work with than that. And even in the now in the modern days of Razor, the Razor syntax will often litter um, I don't, litter's not the right word, but yeah. we will sprinkle fine. C- <laughs> we will. Sp- <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't have any problem with it. Is what I'm really getting at. But this idea of in uh, MVC putting in a little bit of C sharp in there could also confuse anybody that's just wanting to look at HTML. Mm-hmm. So the nice thing about JSX is it looks so similar to HTML that I find that designers don't have a problem with it. So
0: let's say uh, you know th- this is something that doesn't bother us. We want to accept uh, React uh, and use that as our uh, component technology for Uh, our project, Uh, what are some of the other benefits that we get from React?
1: Well, there's uh, beyond just the developer ergonomics, uh, this is a term that seems to be catching on here lately (laughs) for better or worse. Uh, I I like it because what it really gets to is, hey, uh, a lot of why React has become popular is because of how easy it is to compose things together. It really removes a lot of friction that I've felt in some competing libraries and frameworks but there's some other real benefits here. Uh, One of them just being uh, performance that what I find is performance out of the box is really quite good that um, when, especially if you get into situations where the UI changes a lot, where there's a lot of different manipulations going on on the screen, it's um, often more efficient than competing platforms. Uh, That said, that's another place where others are quickly catching up. In fact, Ember just recently released uh, what they call Glimmer, which was an update to their rendering engine, which effectively took the same model that React uses and brought it into Ember. Now, uh, I haven't been following Angular 2 as closely, but I do believe that they are also following closely in the footsteps of what React has done. Uh, And when I say what React has done, I mean this idea of a virtual DOM. Uh, The virtual DOM is a pattern that React is used to improve performance. The way virtual DOM works is in a traditional application or in a traditional JavaScript framework, say angular one, for instance, when a piece of data changed in an array, for instance, imagine that array was showing a hundred different items in an unordered list. If I ended up taking one element out of that unordered list, Angular would notice, oh, hey, this array has changed. Let me re-render this array. Now, that's a rather inefficient thing to do because now you've taken this list of 100 items and you've re-rendered it with only 99 in it. Of course, the most efficient thing to do there would be to just remove that one individual item out of that list. Now... If you use something like track by in Angular, which is a, a feature that is relatively new, then you can avoid that overhead I just described. So Angular has its own way of avoiding that performance issue. You do have to be aware of, of how to get around it. React, on the other hand, just does the most performant thing out of the box, because what it does is React says, okay, you just changed some data. Every time you change data, I am going to redraw the UI. But when I redraw the UI, I'm going to compare what the UI looks like now to what the UI needs to look like. And then I'm going to say, what is the most efficient way for me to get from point A to point B? So in that example that I just described with the hundred items in an unordered list, what React will do is say, oh, well, it looks like the only difference between these two lists is this one item isn't there. So the most efficient thing for me to do is just remove that one DOM element. So that in a nutshell is the power of the virtual dom and the virtual dom will effectively then end up in many cases, saving you battery life, saving you processing and really saving you from having to dig into little configuration details to try to eke more performance out of your system. Because it tends to start at a level that is higher performance, than other frameworks that don't have a concept of a virtual DOM.
0: So that's interesting, and I like the point about saving battery life. That's uh, that's one that you don't always hear people hit up on, on uh, when they talk about performance. Um, mm-hmm. Mobile users, definitely, the more stuff you're you're requiring that client to do, they're definitely going to be using up more battery. Uh, yeah. Excellent point. Um, So if we are uh, using React and we're benefiting from the performance of the virtual DOM, uh, things like that, what is the developer experience like? Are there any additional benefits there?
1: Yeah, so another piece that I really like in the dev experience is uh, something that uh, was fairly recently announced. I think it was announced this summer uh, at uh, React Comp 2015, uh, which was a uh, hot reloading. Now you've probably heard the idea of live reloading before. Live reloading is this idea of every time that I hit save, my browser will automatically reload the page. Effectively it will hit F5 for me and reload the page. And that is really useful. There's quite a few different frameworks that end up doing this sort of experience for me. But hot reloading takes this a step further. Um, hot reloading is going that step further and keeping my current state in the client. So rather than doing a full page refresh, hot reloading will take any kind of changes that I make within my code and just patch them into the browser live at that moment without refreshing. And by doing that, then I don't end up losing my client side state. And I'm sure you've worked on applications where you end up frustrated by the fact of, okay, here, I'm working on this multi-step form, and I'm right now I'm working on step four. What's annoying is, every time that I hit save, I don't want it to refresh. Ideally, I would like it to stay on step four, so every time I hit save, I can see my work progressing. See, with traditional frameworks, what I'd end up doing is, every time I hit save, it would reload the whole page, and I'd have to perhaps re-log in, I'd have to finish step one, fill out step two, fill out step three, and now finally I'm back on step four so I can see whether the UI change I just made was successful. Hot reloading gets rid of all that friction and just allows me to really rapidly get feedback on my UI and not lose that client-side state. So the way that we get this done is... um, you can use either Browserify or Webpack, although Webpack seems to have a slicker implementation of this. Uh, but bottom line, what it does is it just patches in your changes for you into the browser. It's, it's very, very slick and uh, there's a uh, video out on YouTube. If you look for Dan Abramov, um, he's from St. Petersburg, Russia, and he... Created this, uh, this project and, and showed it off first uh, using Webpack. It's, it's really an eye opener if you've never seen this experience. And I believe it's in really, uh, I believe it's such a shift that very soon everybody's going to need to do it just to compete because it really is a lot of fun doing development this way. It, it radically speeds up the process.
0: You get instant gratification on that iterative process of creating something.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, So we're working with React on the client side, what's the server side technology situation?
1: Well, that's one of the nice things about React is that you can render on the server. And uh, there's a lot of different pieces of jargon for this. Some people call it isomorphic JavaScript. Universal JavaScript seems to be the term that's starting to take hold. I've been trying to get fronty-backy JS to take off, but that that doesn't seem to be going (laughs) anywhere.
0: There might be a framework by that name already. (laughs) I'll have to look that one up.
1: (laughs) Well, we're in JavaScript. That's probably true. Uh, So the the nice thing is uh, React effectively lets me call... A single function to render to HTML so I can just call render to string on any react component and that react component will give me back the resulting HTML you can you can imagine now once I can do that I could end up using node with Express for instance and initially rendering my application on the server of course the benefits of that are are multifaceted one thing is my users are likely to see content more quickly because now they don't have to wait for the javascript to be downloaded parsed and then rendered to see a result instead they will see plain html rendered the moment that they load the page so this ends up getting rid of one of the big downsides of traditional single page apps which is this waiting for initial content of course the other big benefit of doing this style is Now I get SEO for free because I'm sending down real content, real HTML. So this starts to open up the door for using React on sites where I'm worried about search engine optimization. Normally, I wouldn't reach for something like Angular, Ember, or uh, Backbone, for instance, when I'm doing work that is related to search engine optimization, because I'd be worried about how that might be parsed. Google's been saying that they will crawl JavaScript sites for a while, but the problem is Google is very, very guarded and cryptic about exactly how they do that and what I should be doing to make sure that that works out well for me in their rankings. And not to mention, Google's just one of the search engines out there. So from my perspective, I would want to render isomorphically, universally, whatever term you want to use. I want to render on the server first so that I can make sure that I'm getting good search engine optimization. And that's what you can do uh, with React by calling render to string so that you get that HTML rendered first on the server.
0: Yeah. And even SEO aside, I've seen applications built where you open the app up and you get you know, you're presented as a user with this absolutely blank screen for sometimes way too long. And then all of a sudden everything starts appearing. So that that alleviates the issue, being able to send some of it down the pipe at the beginning. Exactly. So you mentioned Flux earlier. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm... Kind of clueless as to what Flux is. Why don't, why don't you give oh. us a little info on that?
1: Well, that described me for quite a while because <laughs> I found it really hard to understand at first. I think uh, this is one of the biggest hurdles to building a really significant app in React is Flux is most likely unlike anything you've done before. If you are used to the two-way binding model that was uh, was and remains quite popular, is still used in Knockout and Angular 1, used in Ember, it's a very different model because it moves away from that two-way binding model and it moves toward, instead, what they say is a unidirectional data flow. That sounds like a bunch of jargon, but effectively what it means is when my UI changes, the updates end up flowing in one direction. So there's no direct link between my UI interactions and updates in the associated data. What instead happens, um, I guess the best way to explain this is with an example. Say I have a button on the page, and that button is delete user. In a traditional, say, a knockout application, I'd hit delete user, and that would be bound to a function in my view model that would instantly pop an element out of the array. Now that user is no longer in my array. Maybe it'd also make an AJAX call, do some other things, sure. But fundamentally, what would happen is there's a real tight, coupling between me clicking that button and data changing. Things work a little bit differently when you use flux because with flux, what would happen is I would click the delete user button and that would trigger an action and an action is really just a name for something that happens in the UI, basically a name for a user's intent. So my intent in this case would be delete user. This would trigger a delete user action when I click, that delete user button. And then what I would have is one or more stores that end up subscribing that effectively say, Hey, I hold some data that's related to users and I want to know when this specific action happens. So if I had a user store, I need to know when users are deleted so that I can end up removing users from that store. The beauty of this approach is now, I can end up having multiple stores that end up listening to changes and updating accordingly. And by removing that tight coupling that happens with a a traditional two-way binding model, what I also avoid is sort of this game of ping pong that can occur on larger applications. And um, I've gotten bit by this before where I built a large application that um, had a behavior like this where I would change data in a view and that would end up updating a view model. When that view model changed, it would trigger changes in another view. When that view changed, it would update this other view model. And so what would happen is it would get rather difficult to understand exactly what the system would do at a given point and exactly all the implications of changing a given piece of behavior because of all those interactions. That sort of thing doesn't happen Uh, So cryptically, when you use Flux, because you have this really clear flow and you have these stores that are saying, I only care about these certain actions. So you have this nice explicit list of actions that can happen in your system. And that list of actions would be things like, well, delete user, create user, send email, submit contact form, all these sorts of actions that anybody would do to interact with your system but now you can really easily search through your code base and find where those actions occur
0: that's interesting it sounds like a little more informative way of doing messaging but you're you're more in control of uh the code and where where those pieces of code point
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it's um it's a little similar to a pub-sub pattern, but there are some little differences in that every store is notified of every action that occurs and that a store, that store effectively decides whether to respond to a given action, but they at least are notified of anything that happens. Mm-hmm. So it's, in that way, um, it's different than a pub-sub pattern. But in other ways, I found if you've done pub-sub before, that's one thing that helps you at least click with flux because it's not that much different than that paradigm.
0: That's interesting. Uh, so where, where do we go to get started with react? What are some resources we can look for?
1: Oh, Ed, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I have a course out on Pluralsight that's, uh, been doing really well. Uh, I put about six months of my heart and soul into this. This is the most work I've ever put into a course. And, um, Thus far, it's paid off. I've gotten really good feedback on it. But it's about five hours of, of content that walks through standing up a React application, using React Router for routing between different pages, uh, using Flux for handling uh, all of our uh, unidirectional data flows. And then it also, I walked through for about 30 minutes the whole automated build process that's necessary to do this in the real world. And I chose to use Browserify to make that happen and Gulp to Handle the whole build process. It really—I um, was very excited about the way it came out. Uh, since then, we've been building uh, upon that model, and I've added some more uh, interesting complexity to it for projects that I'm building out in the the real world um, on teams here at my job. Uh, but I—I've just really uh, had a lot of fun putting this course together. So that's one thing I'd suggest. I, I will say. Um, There is absolutely no shortage of of good courses out there, good blog posts. If you look at uh, some blog posts by Dan Abramov, he has some excellent posts in the space. And React's documentation itself, I found uh, really useful as I was putting together the course. It's it's well structured, and provides a good overview. Uh, That's a you know the nice thing is the service area of React, the API itself is pretty small. There's not that much to it because it is a targeted library. So you can go out there and get a Hello World stood up really quickly and, and get excited about it.
0: Well, Corey, I really appreciate you stopping by and talking about React.js with me. And we will put links to those resources up on our podcast site at developer.telerik.com. And appreciate you doing this with me.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Ed. This is a lot of fun.